We are continuing our series in pictures of the kingdom, the parables of Jesus dealing with the kingdom of God. Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 31. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and somebody will get you one, I think. Um, I could be wrong. Uh, But if you do need a Bible, here's what I will tell you. You can go to the bookstore afterwards and they will give you a Bible if you don't have one at home. For all of you that do have one, either on your phone or hard copy, pull it out. Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 31, we'll read through verse 33. He, that's Jesus, put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and it becomes a tree. So that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Pray with me. Father, we trust your power. We trust how significant and substantial your word is. And God, we pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see as you tell us in the scriptures. God, I don't know all the questions that sit in this room. You do. God, I don't know the people who in their hearts or even physically are weeping this morning, but God, we want to weep with them and we know that you do. Those who are rejoicing, we want to rejoice with. God, be the bearer of your word. Answer these questions. Speak to us individually. Speak to us as a church. Speak to us truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we're in this series called Pictures of the Kingdom, and we know this, that pictures speak a thousand words, right? Pictures speak a thousand words. So a strong image on a television screen speaks louder than a thousand words of the commentator. A great picture on a website speaks louder than a thousand words of written commentary underneath. Pictures speak a thousand words. Words And Jesus speaks often in pictures. We call them parables. But it's important for us to understand when we look at parables that parables are not illustrations. So I'm preparing my message today. And anytime I prepare a message, I'll sit there and go, what are the main points you want to make? And here's point one. And then I'll say, how do you explain what point one is? How do you illustrate what point one is? Argue it and apply it. And I'll go on to part Point two, preachers seek to illustrate points, but the illustration is a delivery mechanism. A parable is not an illustration. It's been said of preachers and theologians that the illustration is the sugar coating on the theological pill or on the biblical teaching. And so you know that. People will take pills and they coat them in sugar because a spoonful of sugar, what? Makes the medicine go down, right? So kids' vitamins are caked with sugar so that they can get a little bit of vitamin C in their body. I am certain the pound of sugar on that one pill is worse than the vitamin C that they get. But they do it. That's what illustrations many times are viewed as. They're the delivery mechanism. Or if you're a shooter, which I'm not, there's the casing and the shell. When you shoot a gun, it releases and the casing is there to direct the shell to the target but the casing is released. It's a delivery mechanism. A parable is not a delivery mechanism. 
A parable is not an illustration. It literally is the construction, if you will, of a house in which Jesus is inviting you into to take up residence there and to view life from that place. It's like poetry. Poems are not just illustrations or great pictures when people are designing them. It's to invite you into a work of art in which you would take up residence there and see and be impacted and experience. That's what Jesus is saying, and he's speaking about it of the kingdom of God, painting pictures about the kingdom of God. So what then is the kingdom of God? If you look at the Bible and the New Testament in particular, the kingdom of God is about power. The kingdom of God is about authority. The kingdom of God is about rule, and it's about reign. The kingdom of God is about a king whom the Bible says is in fact Jesus himself, which is why when Jesus came upon the earth, he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's in your very midst. You can touch it. Jesus personified the kingdom because he was the one the scriptures say is the king. Even after Jesus left the earth and empowered his church, they wrote about him, and we have it in the New Testament. And the Apostle Paul tells us that there is a day coming in which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, Lord, King. So then what in the world does this kingdom look like? If the Bible's true, as we think it is here, many people may question that, but if it was true, regardless of what you believed in this room, if Jesus were King, what would that kingdom look like? Well, since Jesus is the king, since Jesus is the Lord, this is a kingdom of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. If he is the king and the Lord of all in whom we are called to follow him, that means as the church we are meant to live those types of lives. Lives of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And the Bible says that Christ is king. But if you're sitting here, you go, well, that's my problem. Because the world does not look like a world of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. It just doesn't look like that. And that's why the biblical story testifies to that which is reality. Because the biblical story says there was an invader that came in and challenged God's good word and got God's creation, namely the pinnacle of his creation, human beings, to buy lies. And in so doing, lies spread to the whole earth. So everything that is contrary to God's character is now pervasive in the world. And the Bible says that God has allowed and is continuing to allow that to remain. That was our parable last week, the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Is that good and evil are growing at the very same time. But Jesus says, let me tell you what reality really is. Reality really is the kingdom of God. Let me show you who the real king really is. And this is where it starts getting a little confusing to us. Because power and authority seem to come with a pursuit of recognition. They seem to come with being loud, with a triumphal entry of many sorts and yet there's a very strong emphasis in the new testament and all throughout the bible that in the future we will see the kingdom fully realized but now it's hidden now the question is why in fact is it hidden and this is a strong theme through 
the New Testament. Why is it hidden? And I would argue it's hidden because we've bought into lies. We've bought into lies that power and authority are big and visible. They're big and fast and noticed. That's what power and authority are. This isn't a conversation about power. In fact, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20 says, The kingdom of God does not exist in talk, but in power. The gospel, Paul says in Romans chapter 1, is the power of God. This isn't a question of power, because kingdoms are powerful. The question of it now is, how is the kingdom of God brought forth, started? How is the kingdom of God recognized? And how does the kingdom of God end? That's what we're going to look at today. How does it start? How is it recognized? And how does it end? Knowing it's all about power. So how does it start? He put another parable before them. Verse 31. Saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed. The kingdom of God starts small. Like a mustard seed. How many of you guys can see what's in between my two fingers? Raise your hands. Participate with me a little bit. People in the front row can. People in the back row, you're lying. Okay, what's, it, what's in my fingers? Okay, this is a little jar of mustard seeds. I told the guys before the first hour, I said, how many mustard seeds do you see, think are in here? Because I tend to overestimate numbers. Um, so I, I, I didn't want to say there's 400 in there, and the guys be like, there's like 50 in there. So I said, how many do you think are in there? Matt Dresbeck said 500, and I said, you're worse than I am. There's not 500 mustard seeds in there. But we came to an agreement that there's at least 200 mustard seeds in this. Now let me put this into perspective. You can hardly see the jar in my fingers, and inside this little jar, there are over 200 mustard seeds. And Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It starts small. It's perceived as small. I have a three-year-old daughter named Luciana. And Luciana's small by anybody's account. If you know kids at all, you'd go, she is a small girl. And they say good things come in small packages, right? So, and that's this contrast to bigger is better. Good things come in small packages. But not only do good things come in small packages, powerful things do. If you know, I have four kids eight and under, eight, six, three, and two. And fathers, unlike mothers, become jungle gyms for kids. And maybe moms do, maybe the moms are like, so I do too, but moms stand and they're like doing things and the kids are pulling at them. But dads really become jungle gyms. You come home, you're tired, you like lay down and people start jumping on you and then, you know, you get up on all fours and they start crawling on you. But not only that, you also become like a, a trampoline. People jump on you, and that's why books like Hop on Pop are written, and so you, things happen, right? Well, now my eight-year-old will jump up on top of me, Braden, and I'll say, hey, buddy, you're getting a little too big. That hurts my back, you know? I was a big-time athlete. You know, I have back problems, and that, I was not a big-time athlete, but I'm old, and so I have back problems. So he'll jump on me. I'll say, stay up. But I think my, my three-year-old daughter, she can do whatever she wants. So she's three years old. She's never watched WWF before, but she knows who Jimmy Superfly Snook is. If you guys know old, old WWF, World Wrestling Federation. So she'll like get on furniture and just jump at me. Now what Jimmy Superfly Snooka used to do, I'm 36, so this shows my age a little bit. I'm not into the 
new wrestling. But he would cast out his body like this and land on you. And I wish she would do that. Because last Monday, she jumped and cannonballed on me. But didn't cannonball on me with her bottom. It was her knees. Now, to put this into perspective, her knees are like the size of the end of that little jar I held up. They're like that big. But it landed right in my rib, and I thought I was going to die. I was saying my farewell to my children, like, I love you guys. You know, it felt like World, like World War II movie, like you're yelling your last breath to your children, telling them you love them. And to this day, the pain, a week later, from this little girl's little knee is pervasive. So not just good things come in small packages, but powerful things come in small packages. Jesus Christ himself came in a very small way. He was born into Nazareth, of which people said, Nazareth? What good comes out of Nazareth? He was born in human form as a baby in a manger amongst animals. He was raised to become a carpenter, not the most noticed of all occupations. The scripture said that God would come like this. Listen to this in Isaiah chapter 53 and think about this reality of the kingdom of God coming small. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. No beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Nazareth, born in a manger, carpenter, that's nothing to take notice of. And yet he said when he came on the scene, the kingdom of God is at hand. The New Testament carries this out in which Paul says God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the wise. Jesus himself chose disciples that nobody recognized, nobody would have noticed. And he continues to do the very same thing. There's a famous uh, book that many business people love called Good to Great. And Jim Collins studies level five leaders and he said, when you go into a corporation that's not just good, but it's great, when you walk into a boardroom, you can hardly notice who the primary leader is, who the CEO of the company is. And he said that astonished him. But great organizations have leaders who are willing to play small. Now this created all kinds of confusion for the Jews at the time and for even the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was a world-dominating empire. The Jews were expecting a Messiah to come in and overtake the oppressive empires of the world by force to do it big and to do it swiftly. And Jesus comes through Nazareth as a carpenter. There was one who was meant to be the forerunner of him named John the Baptist. And John the Baptist knew he was to be the forerunner for this Messiah who was going to take over the world. And so he was loudly prophetic and even as he carried on his ministry and Jesus was born and was now carrying forth his ministry, John got confused. 
and sent his disciples to Jesus' disciples to ask the question to Jesus, are you really the one? Because the way you're going about this, the way you're bringing forth the kingdom is not the way we expected it. We expected it to be big and to be swift. Now don't sneer too much at the Jews or the Romans of the time. Because maybe of any time in the history of the world, we live in a culture that idolizes the big. That idolizes the fast. That idolizes being noticed. How many selfies can we possibly take? Right? I'm on Facebook all the time, and here's the next pill to make you that big. And all of a sudden, I look at these pictures, I'm like, I'm really small. That guy is huge. You're telling me if I take that pill, I can be bigger and that fast? Like in six weeks period of time, I can look like that? Why do those people have the money for the advertising? Because we buy it. We believe that. We want it big, and we want it now. And God says, but the kingdom is small. So here's what that means for us. What does it mean that the reality of God, the kingdom of God, is coming in praise of smallness and through small things? Well, it means this for sure to us who want to live in this kingdom reality. Don't underestimate small things. Great things come in small beginnings. Don't underestimate the small so those simple things, when you leave today at Mother's Day and that cold drink that you have in your hands that you sip, don't ever underestimate it. Show gratitude towards it, that great meal that you're about to have, the laughter in your kids, the joy of friends, the amazing nature of doing something that seems very simple, of finishing a report. Don't underestimate small things. Don't underestimate an encouraging word. Don't underestimate the simple things in your life with God that seem like they're old hat. Things like read your Bible, pray, worship with the community. For God does extraordinary things through small things. In fact, he brings about the kingdom of God through small things. One of my favorite things that happened with the leadership team at Redemption Church this past year was we were praying at our leadership team retreat and Tim Mon, your lead pastor here at Redemption Gilbert, prayed this prayer. Lord, keep us small. And I loved it. There's those moments where you hear something and you think, package that and use it over and over and over again. So we have. We've made a routine to pray that prayer. God, keep us small. And that is so contrary to everything in our culture. What would it look like if every person in this congregation prayed the prayer, God, keep me small, and was willing to be small on the ride home, was willing to be small in the home this week, was willing to be small in the workplace this week, was willing to be small to make others big and to serve? Because the kingdom of God comes about like a mustard seed. Comes about through small things. How is it recognized? How is the kingdom of God recognized? Now this is where it gets really confusing because this second parable, he told them another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid. That word hid is literally like the, the same word, it's like encrypto is the word in Greek where we would come out and get the word encrypted. It's hidden. It's at many times and most often unnoticed. But the question needs to be, why is it unnoticed? I'm going to step out of exactly what the passage says here and say this. I'm convinced 
that the hiding of this, the way God has chosen to hide his power and to hide his powerful working in our society and in our lives is in the midst of our sin, in our believing lies about bigness and speed and recognition. He hides it right there, and most people don't notice so much that he says, those who have ears to hear, let him hear. And the only ones who hear and the only ones who see it are the ones the Spirit of God has moved in. The power has invaded their lives to open their eyes, to give them ears to hear, to understand God's about doing things over the long haul. So how are these things recognized? Well, they're recognized a lot like the way kids grow up. When you're around kids all the time, they just grow up and you don't notice it very much. But if somebody comes and hasn't seen that kid in 14 months, they say, wow, they're growing like a weed, right? And how do weeds grow? You see a little thing, you're like, I don't need to get it. And then you go back out there, like it feels like three days later and it's like it's bigger than you are. The other day I was sitting looking, we have a little breakfast uh, counter, and I was sitting at the breakfast counter, and I looked over at the TV, and Braden was standing there, I'm like, good Lord, that kid got huge, he's my eight-year-old boy, I'm like, he's enormous, that kid has to be as tall as I am, and those moments happened, there was a little illusion, because he was standing on my little girl's stool that gets him up to the sink to wash their hands, so he looked a lot taller, so that was an illusion, but the reality is, that's how kids grow, they grow like that over time, and the kingdom grows like this. You want to know the way you recognize kingdom power, and you recognize the kingdom of God, it's this way, through life, through growth over time. Through life and growth over time. Leaven is active, and it permeates the whole. A mustard seed has life, a tree within a seed. There is life there, and life creates growth. You want to know if the kingdom of God is living in the world? The kingdom of God is growing, is revealing itself over time. You want to know if the kingdom of God is alive in you? Is there life and is there growth? The kingdom of God, Paul says, remember we said this, 1 Corinthians 4.20, does not exist in talk but in power. Power that results in life and growth over time. If you sit in this room and you say, I come to worship... I'm a Christian. The Bible would say worship, you coming on a Sunday, does not mean you're a Christian. But I could pass a Bible exam. I could have a great Bible study conversation. The kingdom of God doesn't exist in talk, but in power. Look at the way the mustard seed grows. It's like a man who sowed it. Does Jesus say? It's like a man, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants. It becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. It's living and it's growing. Now think about a mustard seed. If you put a mustard seed up against a slab of concrete, sidewalk concrete, direct action, who wins? The concrete wins every single time. But if you plant the seed underneath the concrete, what happens? Who wins? The seed begins to break up the concrete because it grows and the life form is there and it grows and it breaks it up. If your life is not breaking up from the inside, you aren't beginning to break up and think, man, the way I talk, I don't know if that's the way I should be talking. The way I walk, I don't know if that's the way I should be walking. The way I'm treating people should not be the way I'm treating people. 
If you aren't breaking up from the inside, the fundamental question is, have you ever truly been born of God? First Peter says that we are born again by the living and abiding word of God. That the word of God is like a seed that implants itself in you and it's living and it begins to grow. But here's the key point, over time. Many of us want it now. I need to see this change and see it now. And I want it to be big. I want everybody to notice. And I want them to notice now. Jesus says that's not going to happen. But if you aren't breaking up and you don't feel like this is changing, you should ask, has it happened in me? And that's happening as well in the world. And just like the wheat and the tares, the servants say, should we go out and get all the weeds and pull them up? And he said, don't do that. You're going to do more harm. Wait. These parables have this recognition of over time. So this parable is not just in praise of smallness, it's also in praise of slowness. There's a book that was written by that title, which is a fantastic book called In Praise of Slowness. And this directly speaks against everything in our world. Microwave it now. Fast food. On-demand TV. Give it to me now. And Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's like leaven in a lump that you have to wait. And it will grow. And the results will be produced. And they will be produced in power over time. So here's the reality of God. If he is the king and he came small, then we need to say, God, make us small. And we need to value the small things. If he came and came and has waited this long and is allowing his kingdom to permeate over time, we too need to be in praise of slowness and be patient doing the right things the right way over and over and over again. That's why people always, tell me the fast way to get in shape. Tell me the fast way to get smart. Tell me the fast way to learn a language. Tell me the fast way to become like Jesus. He says, do the right things, the things that right now seem small, and do them consistently consistently, even when you want to see it and don't see it, keep doing the right things over time. And powerful things will be produced. How does it end? It ends big and it ends pervasive. This in praise of smallness and in praise of slowness and a commitment to doing the right things the right way over time ends big and it ends pervasive. I'm a coach of a youth baseball team. Seven and under, basically. Now, seven and under baseball is not the most exhilarating baseball you could ever watch. Now, I know there's a whole bunch of you in this room that are going, baseball's not exhilarating. I can't even imagine seven-year-old baseball. But it's not the most exhilarating baseball. And I watched the team for the first time, and they're seven-year-olds, so you can't go, it's the bad news bears, right? They're seven, right? But it, I'm just going to be honest, it was bad, bad baseball. Like anybody that knows anything watches and goes, man, they couldn't hit the side of a barn with a bat. Not with a ball, with a bat they'd miss if they tried to hit the side of a barn. And when they try to throw to first base from third, they throw to the third base dugout. Like this is bad. 
right? And I'm sitting there, and the re reality is my, my patience is being tested a little bit. And so I'm calling one of their guys that's a part of our club baseball team, and I'm like, dude, we're bad. <laughs> and he's going, yeah, I know. I mean, I've seen you guys practice. You're not good. <clears throat> so here's what I wanted. I wanted, like, we got to do something now. We need to do it big because I don't think I can handle this the whole time. And he says to me, no, I think you'd like, because I'm thinking, we just need to scrimmage and get them good. And he goes, no, I think you just need to do it. And this is what every good coach says. The small things. Do the small things and do them a lot. Roll them ground balls. Teach them. Sit in a chair, alligator, skateboard. And I'm like, chair, alligator, that's boring. No, do the small things. So we start doing the small things. And then we start doing pop flies. Little, catch. Little, catch. Bigger, catch. Little bit bigger, catch. Okay, hit this real softball. Hit, hit a ball off the tee. Hit a real softball. I'm like two feet away from him throwing these yellow balls. Like, okay, da, 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 da. Okay. Saturday, we go out. We play one of the best teams in the league. We win 25-14 with like 11 putouts. That means like get out. Seven-year-olds getting outs, big deal if you didn't know. We get all of these outs. They're hitting every single ball. We scored 25 runs in four innings. And here's what it taught me. Do the small things. Do them all the time. Do them over time. And big, good things result. And now they're going, you're the coach of the year. And I'm thinking, no, my buddy on the phone who told me what to do is the coach of the year. <laughs> but this is exactly what happens with the kingdom of God. A band of people that the world said were the weak things of the world committed themselves in Acts chapter 2 to the word of God, the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, the reminder of the gospel, to praying, and to fellowship. Fellowship in loving each other and loving their neighbor as themselves. They committed themselves to simple acts of love. They committed themselves to say, our neighbor's problems are our problems. We're going to do simple acts of love. They didn't say, we're going to solve global hunger. They said, hey, that guy's hungry. We might be able to give food. They didn't say, we're going to eradicate every thirsty person in the world. They said, that person is thirsty. They didn't say, we're going to end the orphan crisis. They said, there's an orphan that we can take into our home. And because of that, we now in North America, which wasn't even founded at the time, are Christians. The Christian church is growing rapidly all over the world. Could you have imagined somebody telling Pontius Pilate when he was about to crucify Christ that one day soon the Roman Empire in which he served in, Emperor Constantine would become a Christian and the dominant religion in the Roman Empire would be Christianity. He'd go, you're out of your mind. How in the world would that happen? By people committing themselves to simple acts of love by committing themselves to simple acts of devotion to Jesus, by committing themselves to being kind to their neighbor because they're falling in the way of a God who says it's his kindness that led us to repentance. Who would have told Mao Zedong when he looked at the Christians and said, these people are a problem and I'm going to scatter them all throughout China to isolate them and give them menial jobs like garbage collectors? Would he have known that he contributed to maybe the greatest growth of Christianity certainly in modern history? That these people took on the role and said, we will become servants. We will go out isolated. We need to make friends. And as we make friends along the way in our garbage collecting jobs, we're going to show and share Jesus. And now China has at least what every expert would say, 100 million Christians and growing. How did that happen? Small things done the right way over the long 
Hall, totally in contrast to everything that our world says. This is why we'll say simple things in discipleship like be faithful, be humble, be willing to be unnoticed. People don't notice the leaven in a lump. People don't load, notice the mustard seed growing into a tree. Be faithful, humble, available, teachable. Faithful, humble, available, and teachable. God starts things small, praise smallness. God does things over the long haul, praise slowness. God ends it big with the recognition that we say, we've done the Lord's work, the Lord's way, and great things have happened. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy to us in Christ. Jesus, give us your Holy Spirit that we wouldn't buy into the lies of big and fast and noticed, but we would live your way, willing to be unnoticed servants who focus on the small things over the long haul. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.